بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته اللهم انفعنا بما علمتنا وعلمنا ما ينفعنا وارزقنا علما تنفعنا به آمين رب العالمين الحمد لله ثم الحمد لله We've reached our next lesson of the tafsir of the short surahs of the Quran course and, and alhamdulillah last week we discussed the mu'awwidatayn we, we spoke about the virtues and the status of um, the mu'awwidatan or the mu'awwidatayn the, the, the surahs of protection the chapters of, of protection and we spoke about them in some detail and the importance of these surahs and the reason for revelation of these surahs and uh, where suratul ikhlas fits in with regards to the Mu'awwidat and we proved that it is one of the Mu'awwidat as well and we spoke about the relationship between Suratul Ikhlas which is a chapter which deals specifically with Tawheedullah subhanahu wa ta'ala and how it fits into um, these chapters of seeking refuge tonight bi'idhnillahi ta'ala we will be speaking about the first of the two surahs of protection or the two of the last two chapters which is known as the Mu'awwidatayn and which is Surah Al-Falaq. We will be speaking about Surah Al-Falaq bi-idhnillahi ta'ala. Um, Surah Al-Falaq is known as Al-Falaq, translates to the daybreak, and we will explain how we get to that um, translation. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he starts off the surah by saying, قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ الْفَلَقِ قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ الْفَلَقِ Say, O oh Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, I seek refuge in the Lord of daybreak, in the Lord of the daybreak, which obviously refers to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that I seek refuge in Allah azza wa jal. This is one of Allah's characteristics now. He is the Lord of daybreak. He is the Lord of, of al-falaq. Tayyib. Um, so we find Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he opens the surah with an instruction. Qul, say O Muhammad, say O Prophet. And whenever we find this word, qul, say, it is a direct address from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam saying to him or instructing him to say. So this is an instruction. And of course the instruction is directed to him firstly and then to the rest of the ummah. Say to him, say O Muhammad, O Prophet, an instruction from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to then, A'udhu bi rabbil falaq, to seek refuge in the Lord of al-falaq. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opens up the surah with an instruction to seek protection, to seek refuge in him. Right? A'udhu. A'udhu means to seek refuge. I seek refuge. I seek protection. I seek a safe haven. I seek uh, asylum, safety. This is what A'udhu means. I turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I seek protection in him. This is what the word A'udhu means. Right? And of course we know this word A'udhu from A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem. Before we recite the Quran we are supposed to say A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem. When we get any... Uh, suggestions from the shaitan as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran that if the shaitan comes to you with any suggestions and waswasa and so forth then fasta'idh billah seek refuge in Allah mina shaitanir rajim from the accursed or the outcasted shaitan so this is what a'udhu means a'udhu means we turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala seeking protection in him seeking refuge seeking safety in him right when the believer when the slave utters these words this is also known as the isti'adha. Isti'adha means to say a'udhu. To say a'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajim. It is when we turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala seeking protection. 
seeking that refuge. When the slave utters the isti'adah, he says, A'udhu billah, wa'udhu bi rabbil falaq, wa'udhu bi rabbil nas, and so forth. He turns, he recites the mu'awwidat, seeking protection. He recites the isti'adah, A'udhu billahi min shaytanir rajim, seeking protection. The slave realizes his complete need for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for his Rabb. Rabbil falaq, Rabbil nas, malikin nas, ilahin nas. He realizes the status of Allah, the greatness of Allah, the perfection of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and he realizes his weakness. How much he is in need of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he humbles himself. He belittles himself. And he turns to his Rabb. He turns to As-Samad. He turns to As-Samad, the one whom... Everything is dependent upon, and who he is independent of everything else. Naam? So he turns to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, understanding his condition of need unto Allah. A'udhu billah. I seek protection in Allah. in Allah, not in anything else, not in anybody else. I seek protection in Allah, I seek refuge in Allah from whatever it may be that he's seeking protection in. So when we say, A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem, we are seeking protection in Allah from Shaitan, the outcasted one. When we recite the Mu'awwidat, there are a number of things that we are seeking protection in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from. Min sharri ma khalaq, min sharri ghasiqin idha waqab, min sharri nafathati fi luqad, min sharri hasidin idha hasad, a number of things which we will go through tonight, bi-ithnillah. Qul A'udhu Billahi Nas, seeking protection in Allah. And from what? A number of things again that we will get to bi-idhnillah next week. Um, so isti'adha is in fact an act of worship. Isti'adha is in fact an act of worship that we do for the sake of Allah. That we do by turning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala seeking that protection. And we don't find anywhere in the Quran or in the Sunnah where we are taught to seek isti'adha from anything or anybody else besides Allah. You won't find this in the Quran or the Sunnah where it said Seek protection in Rasulullah. Seek protection in Jibreel. Seek protection in the angels that are with you. Seek protection in the angels in the room. We know there are angels all over. We go to places of dhikr, masajid, good places. There are angels that are roaming the, the, the earth. What stops us from calling upon them? Saying, oh angels, oh malaika, oh slaves of Allah, oh servants of Allah. That only worship Allah, help us, assist us. La. Protect us. No, this is not the way of the believer. He turns to his Rabb only. Because it's an act of ibadah. And ibadah is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. Ibadah is, is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. Just like dua is done directly to Allah alone. Not to the graves, not to the saints, not to the angels, not to the prophets. To Allah alone. This is a matter of tawheed as well. And this surah teaches us this. A'udhu to who? Who do we seek protection in? Rabbil falaq. The next surah, who do we seek protection in? Rabbin Nas, Malikin Nas, Ilahin Nas. Emphasized. That's the one that you turn to. He's the one that you turn to. Understand? So he's the only one who is worthy of seeking refuge in. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the only one that is worth us seeking refuge in. There is nobody else that can protect us. He is the Lord of Daybreak, Rabbil Falaq, Rabbin Nas, Malikin Nas, Ilahin Nas. He is the Lord of humankind, the deity, the, the one true God deity that's worthy of worship of humankind. He is the king, the master of humankind. Rabbil Alameen. And he has so many other great names and attributes and so forth. He is the only one that is worthy of, of us 
putting our trust in, of us seeking refuge in. He is the one who protects, the one seeking protection. The musta'id, the one who is looking for protection, it's Allah who protects him. And none can protect against him. Ya salam. Look at Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala what he says. قُلْ مَنْ بِيَدِهِ مَلَكُوتُ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ وَهُوَ يُجِيرُ وَلَا يُجَارُ عَلَيْهِ إِنْ كُنْتُمْ تَعْلَمُونَ Surah Mu'minun, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ask them also, in whose hands is the authority of all things? مَنْ بِيَدِهِ In whose hand is the malakut of everything? Is the authority, is the control of everything? To whom does everything belong? To whom? وَهُوَ يُجِيرُ وَلَا يُجَارُ عَلَيْهِ he pros- he's protecting all things. Well, none can protect against him. Nobody can protect. If Allah wants to destroy something or punish something, is there anybody who can stop that from happening? Is there anybody who can protect you or anything against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? None can be protected against him. Likewise, he is the ultimate protector. He is the ultimate protector. He protects everything. And he cannot be protected against. In kuntum ta'lamun, if you truly or if you, if you really know. So this is a very important point that we learn from the from the mu'awwidat. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is commanding Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and every single follower of his seek refuge in who? A'udhu, say, a'udhu. Say, I seek protection and refuge in who? Rabbil falaq. The next surah, Rabbin Nas, Malikin Nas, Lahin Nas. This is the one that I turn to. He is the one that I turn to alone, seeking protection, seeking refuge. Any other thing that is sought refuge in, that is sought protection from, will only lead that person astray. The one seeking protection will only be led further astray if we turn to other than Allah. And this is the reality. An example of this we find in Surah Al-Jinn. وَأَنَّهُ كَانَ رِجَالٌ مِّنَ الْإِنسِ يَعُوذُونَ Pay attention to that word. يَعُوذُونَ It's the same word. أَعُوذُ يَعُوذُونَ is the same word. بِرِجَالٍ مِّنَ الْجِنِّ فَزَادُوهُمْ رَهَقًا And there were men. There were some men. يعني من الإنس. From humankind. From humans. Who used to seek refuge with some jinn. رِجَالٍ مِّنَ الْجِنِّ From the male jinns. Or from the jinn. So, what did this do for them? Did this help them? Did this protect them? فَزَادُوهُمْ رَهَقًا They only increased them in wickedness. Rahaqa also means in fear, in terror, in transgression, in sin, in misguidance. When they sought the protection in the jinn kind, this only led them in further in misguidance, in fear, in terror. And so what used to happen was is, if you look at the tafsir of this, that particular ayah in Surah Al-Jinn, there are a number of explanations, and these are, this is the well-known explanation. Go to tafsir ibn Kathir, you'll find these explanations from the great imams of the past, like Ikrimah. What did Ikrimah say? A classical imam who studied under the Sahaba. Ikrimah radiallahu anhu, rahimahullah, he says, the jinns used to fear humans, just like humans fear them, or even worse. This is how it used to be. The jinns used to fear people. Jinn used to fear people. They used to be scared of insan, especially the Muslimin and the believers. They would fear them. So whenever humans would come to a valley, the jinns would flee. So they come to a new area, for example, and they arrive at a place. The jinns are already occupying that place. What would happen? The jinns would flee and run away out of fear for the people. 
even though the jinns could see them and they could not see the, the jinn. So the leader of the people then would say, we seek refuge. Na'udhu, na'udhu, we seek refuge with Sayyid Hadil Wadi, with the leader of this valley. Referring to who? He comes to an empty valley. There's no people there. He comes and they say, this started happening in Jahiliya and so forth. We seek protection, refuge in the Sayyid, the master or the leader of this valley. This is what he would announce. So the jinn, as they were fleeing and as they would then stop and listen and say, these guys are seeking protection in us. We are, this is our valley, so who is he calling? He's calling upon us. He's seeking protection in us. And so the jinns would say, we see these people fleeing from us, just like we flee from them. Thus the jinns started coming near the humans and afflicting them with insanity and madness. Ya salam. Subhanallah. Once the jinn understood that these people are fearful of us, they then started to take advantage of people. They then started to harm people. Instead of running away, they realized, well, we actually have the upper hand because they're actually fearful of us. So let, let us do what we want with these people. And this is how things have led, you know, to the jinn becoming more, uh, more, more confident when it, when, and less fearful of people. This actually gave the jinn, when they noticed this behavior of the people, and the people are seeking protection in them, this made the jinns, you know, uh, arrogant to an extent, and confident that, look, we don't need to be scared of these people anymore, we will now take advantage of them, and we will now abuse them and use them as we please. And this is how, you know, a lot of possession started, afflicting them with insanity and madness. Many people who are afflicted with jinn position are in actual fact, today would be considered as crazy, schizophrenic, bipolar and so forth. In reality, they are afflicted by the jinn. And this is what we've seen in the field of Ruqya. Majority of cases that, are, that deal with mental illness and, and these type of behavior, it, it comes back to jinn position. It's just that the Western doctor doesn't understand that this is actually a case of jinn position. So what does he see? He sees these types of, uh, you know, diagnosis like schizophrenia, it's a bipolar case, it's a this case, it's a that case. In reality, they don't have the real answer. Hence, there's no cure either. There's, no, there's never a cure for them because they don't actually have the proper treatment. So this is what happened. This is how it started. The jinn realized these people are scared of us. They're seeking protection in us. So they, they, they then led them further astray. Rahaqa further into fear. So people became more fearful of them and they became more, less fearful of us. And this is how it unfortunately unfolded. Qatada, another classical imam, he says, when they sought refuge with, refuge with them instead of Allah, the jinns would overcome them with harm because of that. So the jinns now took advantage as we said. So this is an example of when people turn to other than Allah to seek refuge, it only leads to their destruction. The opposite actually takes place. You actually have no protection. You lose the protection of Allah and you now are left to this thing. And that thing in reality has no power, no ability to harm you or to benefit you. You are now opening yourself up to them and now they can abuse you, especially with the case of the jinn. And this is done to this day. People are using jinn for various things. This ayah is a clear proof that using jinn is haram. Using jinn only leads you astray. 
it's haram. Even though if you think it's a good jinn, it's a Muslim jinn, it's not permissible. It's not permissible, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ultimately knows best. Um, it was narrated from Uqbah ibn Amir al-Juhani radiallahu anhu that a group came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa to swear allegiance to him. And he accepted the bay'ah of nine of them, but not the tenth. Not one of them he, he, he refused. So they said, oh messenger of Allah, you accepted the bay'ah of nine, but not this one. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said he is wearing an amulet. He's wearing a ta'weeth. An azimat, also known as an azimat. He's wearing an amulet or an azimat or a ta'weeth. So the man put his hand in his shirt and he took it off. Then the Prophet ﷺ accepted his bay'ah. And he said, whoever wears an amulet has committed shirk. Man faqad ashrak. He has committed shirk. Whoever ties an amulet, hangs an amulet, wears an amulet, an azimat, a ta'weeth, has committed shirk. That's a very popular picture of a, a, what an azimat looks like today at the bottom over there. It's a common thing that you see people wearing, people children wearing, people hang it in their homes, in their cars, in their businesses. And there are various types of azimats that you find. It doesn't, sometimes it looks like this. This is usually the way it looks when it's worn. And it's usually in a little black thing like that, uh, in, a, in, a, in a leather pouch or something. Within that you will find a whole lot of papers with things written on and so forth. This is the idea of an amulet. Right? What then happens is, people put their trust in this thing. People think this thing protects them. People think this is what keeps us safe from evil eye, from sihr, from all types of harm. And so they believe in this thing. They put their trust in this thing. Take that thing away and they'll be fearful. You know? And this is how it becomes an example of shirk. Where is your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Is Allah not the protector? Is Allah not the one who protects us from all of these harms? Did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say, say, I seek refuge in, a, in Allah or in an amulet or in a talisman or in a azimat from evil eye? We seek refuge in Allah azza wa jal. Not in these things. So you could argue, yes, but it could still be good. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says not, it's not good. And there's other ahadith on this topic as well. He is telling us it's not good. Whoever does this, he's committed shirk. So this should be avoided under all costs. These are other examples of a few common things that we find. The hand of Fatima, the eye of Fatima, it usually looks like that. Um, people believe this has certain benefits, it protects our businesses, it protects this, it protects that. All of this is haram. All of these things are haram and they should be avoided at all costs. At all costs. There is no evidence that these things have any um, status or any uh, virtue or any protection or any protection there's no evidence for this in the sharia and therefore it should be turned away from the bottom picture is an example again of how amulets or ta'weed looks inside you often you see these grids and numbers that 786 written on top there we know that 786 is just a number it has no significance in islam at all and the examples are endless of what we find within these talismans and within these amulets and within these azimats. Right? Look at this one over here. Symbols that correspond to the stars of Babylon and translate to names of shayateen found in, a, in an amulet. Look at this. Examples of shayateen drawn in an amulet. Devils drawn in an amulet. Sihr drawn in amulets. 
clear black magic witchcraft drawn in amulet people are wearing it thinking it's protection. These are just some examples. There are thousands of examples like this. Thousands of examples like this. And this is also one of the reasons why we say these things should be stayed away from. Because today somebody gives you one that maybe is safe, meaning there's only Quran in it. And to be clear, the scholars differed over can you use an azima to ta'weed that has Quran in it only. One group said it's permissible, another group said it's haram, should be avoided. We go with the view that it should be avoided for various reasons. The one reason we'll touch on is that it opens the door to these things becoming widespread. The moment you say yes, but if it has Quran only, it's okay. What happens then is, you don't, people don't even look inside. People don't even, and they are told, don't open the amulet. Don't open the azimat. So they may be told, look, there's Quran inside. Not realizing there's kufr inside. There's sihr inside, black magic. Not realizing there's all types of haram inside. And so now this becomes widespread because we opened the door to amulets becoming widespread. So hence many scholars would say sufficient it is to just shut the door on this, this whole, it's actually a business that's going on because people are making money from this and this door to evil and we say all amulets should be avoided. And this is the preponderant view. It is the strongest view that it should be avoided because we have sufficient means of protection that the Sharia has taught us. Our protection is from Allah and, and the Quran and the Sunnah have taught us so many ways to protect ourselves. So many ways to protect ourselves that it will bring about the protection of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What we find today is people don't know. 99% of what the sunnah tells us to do in, in how to protect ourselves, but they're wearing amulets. They turn to these things instead. Wallahul musta'an. So these things should be avoided under all costs. We close the door to amulets because of the evil that it leads to, as you can see uh, on the screen. This is just a small snippet. I promise you there are examples of clear kufr and shirk, clear magic that we find in these amulets um, and so forth. So these things should be avoided. We seek protection in Allah Azza wa Jal and not in these things. The, these things do not protect us, not our businesses, not our children, not our cars, not our homes. It is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that protects us. An amulet should be avoided as the scholars have advised and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Um, Ibn Kathir rahimahullah, we carry on with the, with the tafsir of the surah, we spoke about a'udhu and the, the importance of isti'adha and, and that we turn to Allah for protection alone. We turn to him when we need refuge and protection, we turn to him. Okay, now we move on to the word al-falaq. So we said we seek protection in Allah who is Rabbil falaq. As, the, as this ayah teaches us, Qul a'udhu bi Rabbil falaq. Say I seek refuge in the Lord of al-falaq. What is Al-Falaq? Ibn Kathir mentions in his tafsir that Ibn Abi Hatim recorded that Jabir said Al-Falaq is the morning. Al-Falaq is, is the morning. And the same was reported from Ibn Abbas, Allah be pleased with all of these Sahaba, that Al-Falaq is the morning. It is the waqt of Subh. Al-Falaq is a Subh. It is that morning, early morning time. Whereas uh, Ibn Jarir al-Tabari rahimallah, he said, this is like Allah saying, Faliqul Isbah. Faliqul Isbah. He causes the dawn to break. The daybreak. See, this is where the, the, the translation daybreak comes from. In another ayah in the Quran, Surah Al-An'am, verse number 96, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Faliqul Isbah. 
He is the one who causes the dawn to break. Falik of Isbah, he causes the dawn to break. So Al-Falak is, is that time of daybreak. That time of the early hours of the morning of daybreak. He is the Lord of that time of the day. This is who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, one of his characteristics. He is the Lord of daybreak, he meaning he is the one that causes the day to break in. He is the one who causes the sun to come up and for the morning to sit in and so forth. Shaykh ibn Uthaymi rahimahullah says that again he agrees it's the morning time. However, he says al-falaq is also whatever Allah causes to split, cleave or break open from the morning or daybreak or seeds or fruit stones and so forth. Because in, again, going back to Suratul An'am, we mentioned the ayah at the bottom, Faliqul Isbah, he causes the dawn to break. But the ayah before that, Allah uses the word Faliq again. And he says, Inna Allah Faliqul Habbi wa Nawa. Indeed, Allah is the one who causes seeds and fruit stones to sprout, to break, to cleave, to come out, to open up. Just like the, he, he does that in, 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 for the morning, for the dawn to break open, he's also the one who causes the seeds and fruit stones to sprout. So this is al-faliq, is, this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. Faliqul habbi wa nawa, faliqul isbah. So he is the rabbul falaq, this is who he is, the lord of al-falaq. Which means, number one, the Lord of daybreak. He is the one who causes the morning to, to come about, the, the dawn to break. Likewise, he is also, the Lord of Al-Falaq means, he is also the one who causes seeds and fruit stones and so forth to sprout, to come out and so forth. Right? So this is who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. The, the, the majority view is, refers to the, the morning period, although there is nothing wrong with this view as well, as Ibn Uthaymin is using that ayah in the Quran to substantiate it, and Allah knows best. So this is who we turn to, Rabbil Falaq. The Lord of daybreak, the Lord of the morning, the Lord of, of everything that, that comes forth, that, that He brings about, that opens up, that, that breaks out and so forth. It only comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is included in that word, Rabbil Falaq. So what are we seeking refuge from? We're seeking refuge in Allah, That's, that we've clarified as point number one. The next point is, what are we seeking refuge from? Allah instructs us here to seek refuge in Him. As Rabbil Falaq, we have to seek refuge in Him. What is it that we seek refuge from? What is He telling us to seek refuge from, specifically? Number one He gives us is, min ma khalaq, From the evil of whatever He has created. From the evil of whatever He has created. Ibn Kathir again says, this means from the evil of all created things. Remember, nothing has been created except that it was created from Allah. And He has created things which are good and things, things which are evil. Here we are seeking protection in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from whatever it is of evil that He has created. Some of the scholars like Al-Hassan al-Basri said, this means like Jahannam. Allah created Jahannam. Is it something good? No. Is it something evil? Yes. So this is part of what we are seeking refuge in. Also Iblis, creation of Allah, it's e his evil and his progeny, those evil jinns and so forth, the shayateen that's roaming. We're seeking refuge in Allah from all of them, from among that which he created. Yani, is there anything worse than Jahannam, shaitan and his enemies? Or should I say his progeny, not his enemies? These are the things that we are seeking protection in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from. 
These are part of things that he created which are evil. Right? Shaykh Ibn Uthaymah said, from the evil of all of creation, and from that is the nafs. From that is also our nafs. For the soul is often inclined towards evil. Ammaratun bisu, as Allah says in the Quran. Often the nafs is inclined towards su, evil and sin and bad. And so the Sheikh says if we're seeking refuge from the evil of all creation, remember this ayah is very general. From the evil of whatever he has created. That is general. It includes all evil that Allah created. So when we say this ayah, it's a very powerful ayah. Because we are seeking protection in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The first ayah. The second ayah from what? From the evil of every single bad thing that Allah created. Every single evil that Allah created. Which is all the evil that's out there under the sun. So this is a very powerful ayah. A very powerful part of the, of the, of the surah. Because it incorporates and it includes all evil. But the sheikh is making a point here. Previously we mentioned, like Ibn Kathir mentioned, Included in that is Jahannam. We seek protection from Jahannam. We seek protection from Iblis and from his progeny, from his followers. Right? Likewise, Sheikh Munuthaymin is pointing out we are also seeking protection from our own nafs because that's part of evil. Because our nafs often is inclined towards evil, as the Quran has told us. And likewise, we find in the Khutbatul Haja, Khutbatul Haja is of course the, the famous khutbah that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam often used to start his khutbahs with in alhamdulillah nahmadu wa nasta'in and so forth right and in there we say na'udhu billahi min shururi anfusina wa na'udhu billahi min shururi anfusina you hear this often in the jumu'ahs and in eid and so forth right imam starts of the khutbah in this particular way from what we often say in the khutbah and what the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to say in the khutbah is وَنَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ We seek refuge in Allah. From what? مِنْ شُرُورِ أَنفُسِنَا From the evils of our souls. From the evils of our nafs. Subhanallah. So part of this ayah is when we say مِنْ شَرِّمَا خَلَقْ We are seeking protection in Allah from the evil within ourselves. As well as Jahannam, as well as Iblis, as well as his followers and his workers and so forth. And every other evil thing that's out there. But this is an important point that the Sheikh highlights. Included in this ayah is the evil of our nafs. Each person has some evil in him that's inclined towards haram, inclined towards some bad habits and so forth. When we recite this ayah, we can remember and recall and, re and realize we are seeking protection in Allah SWT from this evil, from shaitan, from jahannam, from all these things. It's a powerful ayah. Read it with understanding. This includes the shayateen of jinn and mankind. From vermin, from evil creatures and so forth. Right? It includes all evil. Anything harmful, anything bad, anything evil. We are seeking protection in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from all of these things. This ayah is very much general as we said. Then after this ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then specifies a few things which are more serious and evil. So Allah mentions now in general everything, right? All evil. We are seeking protection from all evil that Allah created. But then in the next three ayat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions specific things that are extra evil, that have more evil within them. 
that need specific protection that we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for. So he's mentioned things in a general sense. Now he's giving us specific examples of things you really need to seek protection in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from. So the next three things are very important that we pay attention to, that we need to be careful of them. Number one is, وَمِن شَرِّ غَاسِقٍ إِذَا وَقَبَ وَمِن شَرِّ غَاسِقٍ إِذَا وَقَبَ And from the evil of the night when it grows dark. From the evil of the night when it grows dark. Firstly, uh, Ibn Kathir says to us that Mujahid, again, one of the classical Imams studied under the Sahaba, he said, Ghasik is the night. Ghasik refers to the night and Waqab, Ida Waqab means when, uh, refers to the setting of the sun. So this is the first opinion. Opinion number one is, when it's Ghasik means we're seeking protection from the evil of the, the night when the sun sets. Yani when it becomes dark, as the sun goes down, the night is now coming in and it starts to get dark. Right? This is the time that we are seeking protection from. Ibn Jarir al-Tabari mentions, others have said that it is the moon. Ghasik is the moon. Ghasik is the, is the moon. Okay? Ida waqab, yani when the moon comes out, when the moon enters, when the moon has its time to shine. This is what the ayah means according to a different opinion. Is there any problem with this? Yani is there any contradiction between these two views? The one says it's when the night becomes dark and the sun sets. The other says it's when the moon comes out. The reality is there's no contradiction. As Ibn al-Qayyim and others have mentioned, there's no contradiction between these two views. They, they mean the same thing. Because when the night becomes dark and the sun sets, the moon comes out and the moon starts to shine. The moon has its time to shine. So there's no contradiction here. Both is basically referring to the same time period. And that is when the night starts to settle, when the night starts to come in, when the night starts to darken, the moon starts to come out and so forth. Ibn Uthaymin rahimahullah also says it includes both. The ayah includes both the night and the moon. And he proves this by, by showing us in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أَقِمِ الصَّلَاةَ لِدُلُوكِ الشَّمْسِ إِلَىٰ غَسَقِ اللَّيْلِ غَسَق is used. غَاسِق, غَسَق, notice the word is the same. وَقُرْآنَ الْفَجْرِ إِنَّ قُرْآنَ الْفَجْرِ كَانَ مَشْهُودًا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Surah Al-Isra, verse 78, observe the, the prayer from the decline of the sun until the darkness of the night. غَسَقِ اللَّيْلِ The darkness of the night. That word غَسَقِ اللَّيْلِ refers to the darkness of the night. وَقُرْآنَ الْفَجْرِ And the dawn prayer. For certainly the dawn prayer is witnessed by the angels. Okay? So غَسَقِ اللَّيْلِ is clearly referring to the darkness of the night. غَاسِق we said is the night when it becomes dark. Right? So that ayah similar. Okay? It proves that, that theory or that interpretation of those scholars of tafsir. That غَاسِق refers to the night when it becomes dark and the sun sets. Regarding the moon, there's a hadith from Aisha. Anha, where she said that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he took me by my hand. He looked at the moon and he said, O Aisha, seek refuge with Allah from the evil of this. For indeed, this is al-ghasiq idha waqab. Specifically saying, this is al-ghasiq idha waqab. This is what the ayah means. Min shari ghasiqin idha waqab, this is ghasiq idha waqab. This is what it is, meaning this, it's the moon. Ida waqab means when it comes, when it enters. This is what it means. Does it mean the moon is evil? No, it means that time, as it's, the moon gets its moment to shine, it becomes out, 
it comes out, the sun has set, the night has now settled in, the, the moon has now entered and, and has its moment, it comes up, the sun is now gone, this is what ghasiqin idha waqab. Hence some scholars said it refers to the, the moon specifically. But as we said, both views are correct. And there's no contradiction. Both views are telling us it's the time period where the night time comes in, the moon comes out, the sun sets, and it starts to get dark. This is the time period that we are being instructed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to seek refuge in. Why? The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said to us in a hadith in Bukhari and Muslim, when the wings of the night spread, which means when it becomes dark, when the evening comes, it starts to become dark, keep your children in, for the devils come out at that time. Ya Rabb, there we go. The devils come out at that time. This is the time the sun has now set, darkness is now settling in. This is when the shayateen come out and they are now widespread. They are coming out in the thousands, in the millions. So during the day, they are about, they are, they are there. Not to say there's no shayateen, they are there. But it's at night when they are out. That's, when they, that, that's, that's their time. Like during the day, people are out and about. It's as the night comes in and people start to settle, when the shayateen come out and they start to, to roam. Especially at this time as the sun sets. That is the time where you should keep your children inside. Then when the part of the night has passed, let them go. Which means now you can allow them to be outside or be outside with them and so forth. Close the doors and mention the name of Allah. So it's a sunnah when we close the doors and our windows as well to say Bismillah. So it's a forgotten sunnah. When you close your door of your house, say Bismillah. Close the door of your car, Bismillah. Close the windows, say Bismillah. For the shaitan does not open a closed door. And tie up your water skins and mention the name of Allah and cover your vessels and mention the name of Allah. Say Bismillah every time. Bismillah, Bismillah, Bismillah. Even if you only put something over them and extinguish your lamps. And extinguish your lamps. This is a very powerful and important hadith. Remember as I mentioned earlier about we've been taught so many ways to protect ourselves. This is one example of many other examples. Close your doors. This refers to specifically the night time. Doesn't mean you can't sit with the door open during the day, for example, to get some fresh air. No problem. At night, close your door. Say Bismillah. The shaitan cannot open that door. When you go to sleep, cover your vessels. Yani, whatever there is of food. Any food laying around, water. Those days they had water skins. Today it's different. Make sure it's closed. Cover it up. Don't leave a glass of water standing open during the night. Put something over it. Even if it means you put a cloth, a tissue over it. But do that. Say Bismillah. The shaitan will not be able to touch that water. Touch that food. Or contaminate it in any way that he, that he possibly can. Which he possibly can. So look at this. This is something very simple. The shaitan has so much ability that Allah has allowed for him. But here the Prophet ﷺ is telling us. If you close your door, he cannot open it. If you put something over your food, your water skins and so forth, your vessels, he cannot lift it up because Allah has made it such. Hence, this is prophetic guidance of protection. If you follow this, the shaitan has no way. The same like when we enter the house, we say Bismillah. The shaitan says, I can't spend the night here. He said Bismillah. We say Bismillah when you eat. The shaitan says, I can't eat with him. He said Bismillah. Simple things, protection in the sunnah as opposed to following innovations and bid'ahs and shirk and so forth. Those things are not going to help us, Wallahu Musta'an. But look how Allah has made the protection so simple, but we have to follow the prophetic guidance. 
We have to follow the sunnah and we will get that special protection and extinguish your lamps. Again, back then, they had lamps, of course, of, you know, like candles and so forth. Extinguish it because the shaitan causes those things to catch light and, and to burn. And, and one hadith mentions he uses the mouse to cause a fire. He uses a mouse to cause a fire. And this is how one way you go to sleep. The, the, the lamp is there, the mouse comes, knocked it over, the house burns down. That's the work of a shaitan who used that mouse to do that. Extinguish the lamps. Another hadith from Muslim, Sahih Muslim, from Jabir radiallahu anhu, he said, the message of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, do not let your animals and children go out when the sun has set. Referring to this period again, when the night comes in, until the first part of the night is over, for the devils come out when the sun sets, until the first part of the night is over. So that, during that period of time, the safest place is to be at home. This doesn't mean that the men mustn't go to masjid for Salat al-Maghrib. If you go into the masjid, you are under the protection of Allah. If you're taking your son with you, for example, under the protection of Allah. And of course, when we leave the home, we say our dua. Right? We say our dua. But we don't leave our children outside for no reason. They're playing outside, for example. They're sitting outside. No. At that time, come inside. We shouldn't be outside unnecessarily. If you're on the road, for example, you were visiting some family, you prayed Maghrib, or you go to the masjid, and now you're on your way home, your family is with you, inshallah, you're under the protection of Allah. This doesn't mean we have to be living in fear. We can be on the road if we need to be on the road at that time. Okay? Because this, these are recommendations. These are recommendations. We are out there for a reason. We say our dua when we leave the house, for example. It's protection. We say our dua when we arrive at a place, it's protection. So we put our trust in Allah. And we are confident that Allah will protect us. And we will be protected. This is what we believe. But for, for no reason, if you're at home, for example, there's no reason, bring your children inside. Close the door, say Bismillah, and so forth. Maintain that protection. Follow the sunnah as much as you can. This is the, the balance that the Muslim needs to be in. Not to be on either side of the extreme. There's a need, it's okay. There's no need, close up, bring them inside, and so forth. Understand? What's meant by the first part of the night? Most of the scholars, they say this means the time between Maghrib and Isha. The time between Maghrib and Isha because this is when the jeans are out and they're wild. Picture them at home. As soon as they get out, they, they, they're out and, and they, they're all over the show. And, and remember, children generally don't know the ways of protection, protecting themselves like the adhkar. Yes, in today's time, even the adults don't know this. Wallah musta'an. But this is the thing. They don't know the adhkar and so forth. And so maybe they will be more... Um, accessible to the jinn and so forth. This could be one of the reasons. However, ultimately we follow the sunnah, we keep them inside. If there's a need to be out and so forth, as we said, it's, no, it, it's not haram to be out. If there's a need to be out um, during those times. So we are encouraged to seek refuge from the evil of nightfall. And that is because this is when the jinn and shayateen are widespread, as we mentioned in the previous two ahadith. Also, we find many animals and and so forth, they come out during this time, the scholars have mentioned. And again, maybe this applies more to some desert regions and so forth. Um, many types of vermin or harmful insects also come out during this time. Crimes are increased. This is something that we can definitely relate to in our society. This is also a time when crimes are on the increase. As it gets darker, criminals come out. Um, also, most people are home and less help and assistance may be available to others 
uh, you can get stranded out there and so forth. Wallahul musta'an. Even just point number one, even if you can't relate to the rest, point number one is enough for us to follow this hadith. The other points are valid and this would depend on where you are situated and so forth. We, in our societies, we can definitely relate to the crimes and even the insects. I mean, the simple, smallest example, it's a mosquito. Simple, it's not necessarily that harmful maybe, but they come out at night. You understand? Simple example, very basic example, but it's a valid example nonetheless. Okay? The point is, it's a time that needs us to seek protection. And just point number one is enough for that point. That this is the time where the shayatin are widespread. It's their time when they come out and they are all over the show. That's the time where we want to take protection from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, again, let's say you're out on the road. As I said, it's not haram. You're out uh, visiting people. You're out with your family. It's not haram to be out during that time. But if you recited the mu'awwidat, I said the du'a when you leave the home, the du'a of arrival and so forth, yes. But the mu'awwidat specifically mentions protection during that time. So if you need to be out, at least you know I recited the three quls for, for in the time of, of, of the evening. And we spoke about this last week, when the three quls need to be recited throughout the day. I recited them after every salah, in the morning, in the evening, three times each. So the evening is before Maghrib, as we explained. I recited them, now Maghrib comes in. Now I'm outside, but I recited my calls. After Maghrib, I recited it again. So even though I'm outside during this time with the shayateen are widespread and coming out, I specifically recited these calls three times and throughout the day many times, I recited min sharri ghasiqin idha waqab. From that evil of the nightfall when it becomes dark. So inshallah I'm protected. And I remain confident in this. If I don't need to be out, I close up, I keep my kids inside and so forth. Balanced, Muslim, and Allah knows best. The next ayah Allah then says, وَمِنْ شَرِّ النَّفَّاثَاتِ فِي الْعُقَدِ And from the evil of those who blow into knots. And of course this applies to those witches and magicians who cast spells. Who cast spells by blowing into knots. Ikrimah. Hassan, Qatada, Dahak, Mujahid and others said this means the witches meaning the magicians. Mujahid said when they perform their spells and blow into the knots. When they perform their spells and blow into the knots. And this again is something that is extremely dangerous. As we said, the specific examples that are now mentioned towards the end of the surah require specific attention. Because there is specific evil that's found within them. That's more evil than normal evil that, that's found out there and, and harm. The one we spoke about that time during the night when the shayateen are out, widespread. Number two here is witchcraft, black magic, sihr. Call it what you want. It is something that's real. Don't pay attention to certain callers and scholars that are coming about nowadays and saying sihr is not real. Sihr is just illusions. Magic is not real. doesn't have a reality. That's nothing but ignorance. Pure ignorance. Sihir is real. Black magic is real. It's happening. It has happened in the past. It is happening. And it's not just happening out in the Middle East or out in some remote regions or some backward place. Wallahi, thumma wallahi, sihir is happening in our communities as well. Amongst the Muslims. Amongst family members. 
amongst the Muslims in our communities as well. A sahir, a magician, doesn't look like the sahir that you see on TV or that you read about in a Harry Potter book where he has this pointy hat and a, a cloak and a, a wand. and a, That's, you know, that's one thing. That's not real. That's fantasy. A sahir, today's day and age, a sahir, especially the one who leads the people astray, is somebody who has a big beard, he wears a thawb, has a turban on his head perhaps, he looks like a sheikh, he looks like a maulana, he looks like a scholar, he looks, and he, that's the way he's painted to the people. Hazrat such and such, great scholars and such and such. This guy will come and he'll help you get cured. This guy will help you come and he will uh, take away the, this problems. And this guy will come to your house and he will give you this to do and that to do. And this guy will come and he will tell you what to recite and he will give you something to wear like a taweez and so forth. And he will give you some rituals to, to fulfill and you'll get better. You will find something that you lost. You'll find something that was stolen from you. It will come back to you. You will sort out your marital issues. Your cure that you are looking for, he will bring it about, and so forth, and so forth. It's not some scary person that, that you see out there that's got this black hood and is this and a that and a, this bulging eyes or the scary looking witch. Nope, he looks like a religious scholar. That's the sahih that, 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 that's actually practicing sihir, that's actually working with the shaitan. And it will lead you completely astray and destroy your life, Allah Musta'an. And of course, he gets his value out of it. Some people give him money. He gets status in this world. He gets a big following. He gets promoted. And at the same time, the shaitan is with him. The shaitan is helping him. The shaitan is doing favors for him. But he is also doing favors for the shaitan. And this, the, the Quran speaks about this. رَبَّنَا اسْتَمْتَعَ بَعْضُنَا بِبَعْضٍ when Allah SWT calls the jinn, Ya Mahshar al jinn, Allah says in the Quran, You've led so much of the insan astray. Insans, people will say, Ya Rabb. Their leaders will say, Oh Allah, we benefited from each other. We did things for them and they did things for us. These sahids that have these powers, they can tell you things. They can tell you things from the unseen. How do they do this? They have no powers. They're not special people. They are the worst of people. The only thing is they are working with the shaitan. And the shaitan is telling them certain things. The shaitan has access to, to information that we don't have access to. Not to say they know the unseen either. But they have certain uh, uh, access to things that we don't have access because they are in a different realm to us. So they give the sahih information. This is going to happen. Fortune tellers, for example, same thing. This is what you should do. This is what you must do for business. If you do this, you'll earn so much. And so forth. There's a long explanation how these things work. The point is they're working with the shaitan. They do favors for the shaitan. The, fa the shaitan do favors for them. This is what they say in the Quran. Allah tells us this is what they're going to say in Qiyamah. We did, we helped each other, assisted each other. And we achieved what we wanted to achieve. Because we helped each other. Is it good? Allah says, You abode, O you genins, and in did this, is the fire forever and ever. These people have fallen into disbelief. The action of sihr is kufr. 
to study black magic and sihir is kufr is disbelief haddu qatlu bis saif the sharia says a sahir if he's caught in a muslim land what's the punishment his head is chopped off he's killed straight and this is still being practiced today in saudi arabia for example where they have some muslim islamic laws if they catch a sahir they kill him he's beheaded straight and many scholars argued for example can a sahir make tawbah so some scholars said look if he's caught we should be told look make tawbah it's between you and allah but he must still be killed why because he still has the knowledge of that sihr tomorrow he goes back to his sihr so if you make tawbahs between you and allah if allah wants to forgive you or not that's between you and him however in this dunya you must still be killed wallahu almusta'an so sihr is very real in the field of ruqya we deal with cases of sihr all the time people who are afflicted with sihr black magic was done upon them in various ways various ways there's different types of sihr different goals behind the sihr some sihr is placed to kill the person to harm the person some sihr is put on people to split husband from wife quran speaks about it yufarriquna bayna al-mar'i wa zawji it's there to split the, the the spouse from this from this from each other the husband from wife some sihr is done to make the person ill and sick and weak it makes the person you know illusional they think something happened but it didn't happen and so forth we spoke about an example of sihr last week which happened to rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam himself we spoke about it so sihr is very real and it's extremely evil it's extremely evil the sahir cannot practice sihr except that he falls into kufr and disbelief and the harm that it brings about people is extremely severe it's extremely severe how do we treat it ruqya quran that's it that's it it's not treated with other sihr it's not treated by going to another jinn and another shaitan to remove the sihr and so forth all of that will only lead the person further astray it's treated with quran and that's for now what we can speak about again this topic is a major topic that it requires a, a series on its own wallahu musta'an and then allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says wa min sharri hasidin idha hasad he ends of the surah with another powerful example of evil that requires us to seriously seek refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from. Hence we decided like this one. From the evil of the envier when he envies or when they envy. Sheikh Ibn Uthaymin rahimallah he says who is the envier? Who is the hasid? What is a hasid? A hasid is someone who envies meaning he becomes frustrated. Or irritated or angry and upset when Allah bestows a favor on another person. Whether it be a favor of status, wealth, beauty, or even knowledge, becomes envious. So this person is blessed with something, a new car, and this hasid individual, he's burning inside. Why did this person have to get the car? I also wanted a new car, a new home, a new phone, a new thobe, some books. I wanted, why do you have to buy that book? Why does he get the book? Why didn't I get the books? It could be anything. It could be anything of small value. It could be anything that's of status. He got the job, you didn't get the job. He graduated, you didn't graduate. He achieved something, you did not achieve something. You have envy towards him. Hatred towards him. That he's achieved this or that he was blessed in this way and you haven't got it. This is what we call envy. Right? However, not every envier has his envy reach the envied person. So many people have envy, 
But they control the envy. They try to suppress the envy. So that's one thing. Right? That's one thing. Some people have envy in their hearts, but it does not manifest and reach the next person. So this is just a sickness of the heart, but if ever he's, he, you know, he controls it. He doesn't actually envy or, or send that envy or that, that, that hatred towards the next person. Now this you find that's just common. However, the Quran says, hasad. We are seeking refuge in the evil of the envier when he envies. Not just his envy. Envy is one thing, but it's when he envies. That's the evil part. It's when he manifests it, he feels that envy in his heart, and he acts on it. Yet hatred really comes to the fourth, and he really starts to, you know, wish harm upon the next person. That is the, the point of evil that we are seeking protection in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from. Not just the envy that you know, a person may get, and a thought that they get, and so forth. His envy makes him do something bad to the one he, whom he envies. Sometimes he will actually go out and physically harm the person, or badmouth the person, or abuse the person, because he's has hasad of that person. Because he envies that person. Subhanallah. So it's that point that we are seeking protection from. When he envies. The moment of envy, that's what we are seeking protection from. Not just the envy in general. So hasad is of varying degrees. Hasad is of varying degrees. Number one is when a person wants the blessing to be taken away from his Muslim brother. Even if it does not come to him. Rather he does not like Allah to bless anyone else. And that upsets him. And this is the sickness of the heart. So the person wants, you know, why does this person have to get this? Why did he have to achieve that? Why did this have to happen to him? Even though he doesn't want it for himself. But he just hates to see another person going forward. It's a sickness of the heart. He just doesn't want that person to progress. Even though he doesn't necessarily want what that person has. It's also a type of hasad. It's also bad. Number two is when he wants the blessing to be taken away from someone else. Because he wants it. In the hope that it will come to him. The person got a certain position. He wanted that position. And so he hates that that person has it and he wants it for himself. This is a higher level of envy. And this is again hasad. That is evil. That person has evil in his heart and he needs to cleanse himself. He needs to purify his nafs. And number three is whenever where he wishes for himself a blessing... Like that which someone else has. Without wanting it to be taken away from the other person. This is permissible and is not called hasad. Rather it is called ghibtah. Ghibtah. So this is where you see somebody is blessed with something. And you envy him for that blessing. But you have no hatred. You don't hope that it's taken away from him. Although you would like the same. Somebody goes for hajj and umrah or umrah. Are you envious of him? Yes, we envy him. Do you wish and hope that, I, that he doesn't go? I hope he gets sick and he can't go. I hope this happens and he can't go. No. However, I wish I could go as well. This is not, this is not hasad. This is what we call ghibta. So there's no problem with that. There's no problem with. In fact, we know of a hadith that the Prophet said that you're allowed to be envious of certain people. Like, for example, a wealthy man who fears Allah and he gives sadaqah. So he's not just wealthy, yani he's wealthy, it's a, it's a blessing. But over and above that, he's also charitable. So he's got the ability not just to have wealth, but also he gives and he gives. Such a person we can be envious of. Why? Because look how Allah has blessed him. 
We, we wish we had so that we could give. Right? But that's not hasad. That's actually ghibtah. Yani we can be envious of, envious of him because he has money and he's also giving. He's giving. He fears Allah. He's also charitable. That's a double bounty. We are allowed to have ghibtah for him. But that's not hasad in, in an evil sense. The first two is a type of hasad that we need to cleanse ourselves from and that we need to avoid as Muslimin. And the envier also harms himself in three ways at least. Number one, it's, it's haram. It's a sin. If you have hasad to people, it's a sin. It's a sickness of the heart. It's a disease that you need to rid yourself of. Make dua, Allah cleanses your heart. Make dua, Allah cleanses your heart. Right? That's point number one. He harms himself because he's sinful. Number two is, it's bad etiquette before Allah. Because what hasad really means is, it is hating Allah's blessings upon his slaves and objecting to what Allah does. Subhanallah. Hasad means you are, un- you are angry with Allah. Not angry with the person. Who blessed that person? Who provided that person with that item, with that wealth, with that position, with that status, with that job, with that uh, uh, achievement? Who blessed him with that? It's Allah. So when you are hasad of this, when you are angry about this and envious about this, who are you angry with? You're angry with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You are actually opposing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Objecting to the decree of Allah. And this is the seriousness of hasad. So that hatred that you are getting, that, that enviousness, it's also a sign that you are not pleased with the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because Allah decided that person must get that thing and not you. So this is also a sign, this bad etiquette in front of Allah because it shows you are not pleased with Allah's decree. And you're actually objecting to Allah's decree. You are hoping that it's not that. It mustn't happen. It must come to you and so forth. That shows you the seriousness of, of hasad as well. And number three is he suffers because of too much worry and distress. This is the reality. A hasid, an envious person, he never rests. He's always hating on people. He's worried about this and he's angry about that and frustrated about this and why this and why that and questioning this and questioning that. There's no, there's no peace. There's no tranquility. There's no sakina for him. No tuma'nina. No rahatun nafs, where his nafs is at ease and, and happy and pleased with the decree of Allah. Rather, he's looking at other people and worried about this and, and Wallahu al-musta'an. So this person has too much worry and distress and he doesn't rest. This is another sign of envy. And again, I said, it's a sickness of the heart that we need to cleanse ourselves from. Evil eye is a type of hasad. Ayn. Also called nazar or nazar, depending on where you are, your culture. Evil eye is a type of hasad. Every person who puts evil eye on another is hasid, is envious. So hasad is more general than, than ayn, an evil eye. So every person who puts evil eye, he is part of a hasid. He is also a, a person of hasad. But not every person who has hasad puts evil eye on another. Understand? So hasad is much more general. Evil eye is a type of hasad. So every person who puts evil eye, he has hasad. It comes from hasad. But every person who has hasad does not necessarily put evil eye on another person. Right? The word hasid or the envier is more general in meaning than the word ayn. One who puts evil eye on another. So seeking refuge with Allah from the one who envies includes seeking refuge with him from the one who puts evil eye on another. And that again shows us why it's so important to say these Mu'awidhat, we are seeking protection from hasad and evil eye when we, when we say, min shadri hasidin idha hasad.
from the evil of the envier when he envies. That's how powerful this ayah is. It includes evil eye. And wallahi, evil eye is real. And evil eye is severe. And people are afflicted with evil eye again to this day. The Prophet said in the hadith to Aisha, if a person is afflicted with evil eye, treat them with ruqya. The Quran, recite over them. Ibn al-Qayyim mentioned that evil eye is like an arrow which comes from the soul of the envious one. And the one who puts the evil eye on another towards the one who is envied and on, on, on whom the evil eye is put. Yeah, and it comes from the envious person. It's like an arrow that's shot from his nafs to that person. Sometimes it hits him and sometimes it misses. So not every time does it actually happen. So people may put the evil eye on you all the time. They may be hassled of you all the time. But sometimes it hits you and you get afflicted and sometimes it misses. It's the Qadr of Allah again. But also, if the target is exposed and unprotected, it will affect him. But if the target is cautious and armed, the arrow will have no effect and may even come back on the one who launched it. Subhanallah. Take your protection. Follow the Quran. Follow the Sunnah. Fear Allah. Put your trust in Allah. And we'll speak about how to protect ourselves so that we are protected and that we can deflect those arrows of ayn and hasad that comes towards us. Such that it may even go back to the, the envious one and so forth. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said in the hadith, Al-aynu haq, the evil eye is real. It's haq, it's real. And if anything were to overtake the divine decree, the qadr of Allah, it would be the evil eye. You're on your way towards something good and all of a sudden something bad happens. Your qadr changed somehow. Why? Evil eye caused that. Evil eye caused that to happen. Okay? In the hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, The evil eye is real and if anything were to overtake the divine decree, it would be evil eye. When you are asked to take a bath to provide a cure, from the influence of the evil eye, you should take a bath. Now, this is again something that could be a bit of a touchy subject uh, if, if approached like this. If somebody suspects you of evil eye and says, Listen man, I, I, I believe maybe you put evil eye on my child or on me or whatever. We want you to take a bath. You should take a bath. That's what the Prophet is saying. Don't get offensive. Don't take offense to what they're saying. Say, okay, they take the bath and give them your bath water. That's what needs to be done. Because one of the ways to cure evil eye or affliction of evil eye is to take the, the water of the person who put the evil eye. He must wash certain parts of his body or take a bath and take that water and then throw it over the person who was afflicted. This is why what this hadith is basically telling us. And the stories of Sahal ibn Hanif uh, anhu, and Amir ibn Rabi'ah. Sahal was Sahabi. He was out, they were out one day and he was in some river taking like, a, you know, washing himself off and he removed his top and he had, he was a fair-skinned man who was extremely handsome and he had fine silk-like skin. And when Amir saw him, he said, Subhanallah, this man, the skin, I've never seen a body and skin like this, not even on a virgin girl. And immediately Sahal fell over. Sahal fell over. Couldn't get up. So they lifted him up, went to the Prophet explained what happened. And the Prophet said, do you suspect anybody? And they said, Amir looked at him. Amir looked at him. And so the Prophet called Amir and rebuked him strongly and said, why would one of you kill his brother? Yani, we shouldn't have these types of hasad and looks towards our brothers. If you see something, what must you say? Rasulullah gave us the answer and said, if you see something that you like, somebody is beautiful, somebody is handsome, a child is cute, a child is 
you know, and so forth. What must you say? Pray for blessing for them. Pray for blessing for them. And this is why many ulama say it's not enough to say MashaAllah. You must say MashaAllah Tabarakallah. Tabarakallah means may Allah bless you. May they be blessed. Ubarakallahu fihi. If it's a male, Barakallahu fiha. If it's a female, may Allah bless her. Barakallahu fi, may Allah bless him. Utabarakallah, may Allah bless you, and so forth. Pray for blessings. Even in English, say, may Allah bless her. May Allah bless him. Because when you pray for blessing, you are now cutting out all envy. You're doing the opposite of envy and ayn and hasad. Oh, Allah bless this child. Barakallahu fiq. We say to each other often. Barakallahu fikum, Allah bless you. To cut out that hatred and envy. So the Prophet is telling us, if you see anything, a person gets a car, a person gets a new home, may Allah bless you. May Allah bless you with this car. Pray for this. Pray. Number one, it brings about love. It's a, it's a dua, it's worship, it's reward, and it's cutting out all hatred and envy. This is the key to cutting out the and avoiding evil eye. Some people say, MashaAllah, la quwwata illa billah. Ulama says there's no evidence for that statement. It comes from a very weak hadith. Say, pray for blessings. Use the word barakah. May Allah bless her. May Allah bless you. May Allah bless you through this thing and so forth. Then he said to him, to Amir, wash yourself for him. So he washed his face, hands, forearms, knees and the sides of his feet and inside his lower garment in the vessel. Then that water was poured over Sahal. And a man put it over his head and the back from and back from behind. He did that to him. Then Sahel got up and joined the people, and there was nothing wrong with him. So this is how we treat a person who's afflicted with evil eye, right? If we know that it's affliction and so forth, it becomes difficult. Sometimes we're not sure and who gave it and so forth. Yes, however, this is one of the ways to treat it. If you don't know, we just do ruqya and you can recite and be in the person will be cured as well. Um, Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam also said. Most of those who die among my ummah die because of the will and decree of Allah, yes, and also because of the evil eye, and then because of the evil eye. And that shows us how serious it is, how seriousness, how serious evil eye is. But it leads to the death of people. People become sick and harmed and so forth. Many people die because of the evil eye and the effects of evil eye. Allah musta'an. How do we know when we have evil eye? These are just some of, some of the experiences of certain scholars, right? So Shaykh Abdulaziz al-Sadhan, he said, if it's not a real sickness, then the symptoms may take the following forms. Headaches that move from one part of the head to, the, to another. Yellow um, paleness or pallor in the face. Sweating and urinating a great deal. Weak appetite, tingling, heat or cold in the limbs. Palpitations in the heart, pain in the lower back and shoulders. Sadness and anxiety, which is unexplained. Sleeplessness at night. Strong reactions to, due to abnormal fears. Um, a lot of burping, yawning and sighing, withdrawal and love of solitude, apathy and laziness, a tendency to sleep, health problems with no known medical cause. Now these things are from experience of raqis. So you may experience some of these things and it doesn't mean you have evil eye. Okay? It just depends. And a person needs to really look at himself and see is anything is out of the ordinary, Did something just start happening recently uh, and so forth. Right? A major one that stands out for me is a few of them, but one right at the end there, health problems with no known medical cause. People go from the, to the doctor from point one to point A to point, and the doctor has no idea what is wrong with this person. What caused this affliction? What caused his hands to stop working properly? His arms just to be lame, or this to happen, or that to happen. And there's no real explanation. 
Many times it could be an affliction of evil either, either evil eye or possession or sihr even or depending. It all depends, right? Every case is different. But these are just some of the potential uh, symptoms that a person might have. It doesn't mean you have a certain of them that you have evil eye. Again, every case is different. This is just to give you a bit of insight and so forth. To end off, how do we protect ourselves? How do we have that, that, that armor that is so strong that it can bounce off those arrows of evil eye and hasad and so forth, protect ourselves against sihr and against all types of harm? Number one, attach yourself to Allah and put your trust in Him alone. Fear Him alone. Don't fear the jinns and the shaitans and sihr and ayn. And, you know, people walk around and everything, what is ayn? Hey, this guy, is it evil eye? Oh, this happened, hey, it's evil eye. Hey, we shouldn't be like this either. We know it's real, we know it's harmful, but at the same time we put our trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We fear Him alone, that He will protect us. Because we are mu'mineen, bi'idhnillah. And we fear Him, we put our trust in Him, and this is part of our aqeedah. We rectify our belief in Allah, we follow the belief of the sahaba, the tabi'een, the imams of the salaf. We follow the salaf in the aqeedah. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in his aqeedah, in his belief. We do not follow the, the, the deviated strands of, 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 of schools of thought in aqeedah. We follow the correct methodology in aqeedah of the sahaba and the salaf al-salih. And we follow the sunnah. In various ways, in, especially in the ways to protect ourselves. Right? And there's a document that we put together. And you can find this on our website under resources, tayyibah.com. And the resources, prevention is better than cure. The document is called, go through the document and see the various ways to protect yourself. Also, we did a few lectures on that document in the Rukia course that we did a few uh, months or years back. It's also on our website under audio. Go to the Rukia course and you'll find that um, protection is better than cure or prevention is better than cure. That is how we protect ourselves and so forth. Avoid sins as much as you can and innovations and bid'as as much as you can. And this is how Allah will protect us. And then we have our daily adhkar once again, right? At most importance. As Ibn Uthaymin used to say, it's stronger than the fortress of Ya'juj and Ma'juj. That protection of the morning and evening adhkar specifically and the adhkar before we sleep and after we make salah. And we spoke about this last week specifically about the three quls. These things are at most of utmost importance and, and they are the best of protections. And we spoke about this last week in great detail. That must be done every morning, every evening, before we sleep, after salah and so forth, we decide this is how we protect ourselves. And then lastly, protect your children by reciting over them as well. Very important. Recite the calls and blow it over them. Blow it in some water, give to them. And there's a specific dhikr that the Prophet ﷺ used to say that Ibrahim used to make for his sons. Ismail and Ishaq and so forth. A'udhu bi kalimati Allahi ta'ma min kulli shaytanin wahama wa min kulli aynin lamma. Again, you can find this on our uh, recitations for Ruqya, another document. It's also in the Prevention is Better Than Cure document. I encourage you to go through those documents. Also under the website, under the resources tab, are those adhkar that we spoke about. Morning, evening, before sleep and after salah. Go through those documents, incorporate them into your life. And you will see the effects and the value that they bring and the benefits that they bring of great reward and protection and so forth. This is the best of guidance, the guidance of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. So we see, again see the greatness of this surah, extremely powerful surah, surah al-falaq. 
that we will seek refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Lord of daybreak, from all of the evil that He created, and specifically from the evil of the darkness of the night when it settles, when it becomes dark, when the sun sets, from the evil of the magicians and the, the witches who practice witchcraft by blowing into knots. And the, just by the way, we didn't touch on that. One of the methods that they practice sihr is that they tie knots and they blow into it. And they, they utter certain spells and they blow into it. That's what's meant by They blow into knots. It's one of the ways that they practice sihr. One of the ways. Okay? So they utter certain spells and, and, and some shaitani rituals and they blow into these knots that they are tying. And often they get the DNA of the person, like some hair of the person, some nails of the person, some skin of the person, whatever they can get. And they incorporate it into the sihr and they recite these kufr and sh- uh, uh, shaitani rituals and they blow onto these knots. And so for that's why Allah uses that term, those who blow into the knots. We seek protection in Allah from that sihr and from the hasid, either hasad, envier, when he envies. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us all from all of these evils. He is the, the ultimate protector. Amin Rabbil Alameen. Until next week, we will end off our series with the last surah, Surah Al-Nas. Bi-idhnillahi ta'ala. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Shadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka. Wa atubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu.